Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Believe in Guardians. Uh, been away for a couple of weeks, but now we're back. Uh, unfortunately, don't have great news as wanted to pop in here quickly and update you on the state of the team so far. Um, coming off of a series loss against Minnesota that honestly uh, was probably one that you needed to sweep. Um, not sure how much a difference of a, a two-game, a two-win series versus a sweep would have made. Uh, but obviously at this point during the season, any win that you can make up against Minnesota is going to count for so much more as the weeks dwindle down. Um, there's less than a month left in the season. And right now, uh, it seems like Minnesota, even though they're, we're only six games back, um, seems like they pretty much have a stranglehold on the division right now, uh, the way things are going for the Guardians so far. Um, but you, you lose two of three. Uh, it started with just an absolute stinker. You get blown out 20 to six, um, a, a not fun game to be at at all. Um, then you kind of turn it around a little bit. Second game, you're tied three, three in the middle inning. Seems like you definitely have a chance to win it. Um, and then, you know, you just give up the lead for another time. This series that, that seems to be going, um, it seems to be the way that season is going, that you just blow late leads and you can't keep a lead the way where the bullpen is going over the past couple months, especially post-All-Star break. Um, started out well, but we see how that's going. Then, of course, you come back and win uh, a game that is more of the Guardian style, that's that's close, no scoring. The bullpen managed to keep it together. Uh, during that game, though, Emmanuel Classe uh, recorded his 105th save in a Guardian's uniform, which already – ties him for fifth all-time in club history with Jose Mesa. Um, so I guess if there's anything that you want to take out of this series, it's that. But um, believe it or not, a couple of series before that, uh, the Guardians have won three series in a row, going back to August 25th against the Blue Jays. They take two out of three there. Then they managed to win two out of three against Minnesota going into that week. Uh, you you win two out of three, you lose the first game, but you come back and take the last two, which gives you hope going into hopefully this series that you're starting to turn things around. Uh, and during that that three series win streak, you managed to, to tie your season high in wins win streak at four. They haven't gone above four all season can't, for whatever can't seem to get to five or more. Um, you take that going into the Rays series. And you win that over the weekend. So by all means, going into this early, uh, earlier this week, going into the Minnesota series, you definitely had hope. And it felt like the you at least had a chance, even though I said earlier, it, it definitely seemed like you needed to sweep the series in order to have a real chance. And just for Minnesota to come in here and punch you in the mouth, uh, deliver an uppercut, maybe multiple with a 20 to six win. And during that win, Royce Lewis, I don't know what Cleveland did to him, um, hits his third grand slam against Cleveland alone this season. 
and the fact that he was it was his third grand slam within an eight game series. He's the first rookie to ever do that in MLB history. And he's the fourth player overall to do that. Um, yeah, don't don't know what Cleveland did to Royce Lewis because every time he plays us, it seems to be a high leverage situation. He comes up with bases loaded and he delivers. Not only comes through, but he delivers with the home run to clear the bases. Um, but luckily, we don't have to face that again, hopefully. Um, but after the Minnesota series, they're going in Los Angeles tonight. Um, you you kind of have a chance. I don't know how much of a chance. Like I said, it's not a huge chance, uh, depending on the way Minnesota and their schedule turns out and and with the wins that they get. It seems like every time Minnesota loses, it seems like you lose as well. So you're never able to catch up and try to make up ground in what is, I guess, quote unquote, only six games. But the fact that there is less than a month, that six games right now feels like 12 games because you just don't have the time to make up for it. But you go into a four game series with the Angels who are just collapsing in front of everyone's eyes um, post trade deadline. It definitely seemed what well, they were going for just for it to fall apart. Otani's hurt, Trout's hurt, uh, Rendon's hurt, Gio Rochello, who got hurt earlier in the year. Season in the injury, he was hitting 300 for the team. Um, yeah, it, 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 even if you were to sweep the Angels, which I don't necessarily anticipate happening, um, doesn't really amount to much if the Twins continue to win. Um, and it's a four-game series, so who knows? You you may split that series and, and walk away disappointed that you didn't win that series. Then you move up to San Francisco, who right now are a 500 team, um, not really a contending team in the National League West right now. Um, the Dodgers have a stranglehold on that division as well. Um, then you have the Rangers, who are also kind of falling apart with their own bullpen issues right now. Um, we saw how they struggled against Minnesota over the weekend as well, uh, weren't able to come through and win as many games as hoped as a Guardians fan. Uh, but then after that, you have the Royals, who, I mean, to the Royals, not a good team, in the same breath as the Oakland A's for just dysfunction and, and not being able to turn things around, despite the little spurt of winning that they happen to have. Well, I guess at this point, it'd be almost 10 years ago, time flies, but it, there's just nothing going on in Kansas City right now. And then you have to worry about the Orioles and Reds coming to town. So hopefully the whole what I'm trying to say is that you have a couple weeks to try to get some wins and hopefully some easy or easier wins compared to the Rays in Minnesota uh, before you have two contending teams coming to town who uh, by all means will probably make the postseason. The Reds coming into today only have a half game lead over that third nationally wild card spot but it definitely seems like they'll take it and then you finish the series uh, or the season uh, excuse me with Detroit who as much as we beat up on Detroit in years past in in recent years as well um, for whatever reason them and the White Sox seems like they just have our number this year despite them being worse teams than we are we're above them in the in, in the standings and in fact the White Sox in third place are closer to us then we are to Minnesota sitting in second place. So you have to worry about that, about that as well. The fact that you just haven't had as much success against the lower teams and teams that you should beat up on and teams that you've had recent success on as well um, are coming in and you go to their place and they're beating you. And they seem to be easy games to, to win. And 
you just aren't coming through for whatever reason. Um, but with that disappointing season, uh, you know, news came out that it all likelihood seems like Tito Francona that this is going to be his last season. He only has a couple weeks left in this season before he he wraps up his managerial career. Um, a lot of discourse about not only the team and how it's run and how they're playing, but who's running it, uh, who's paying the bills, how it's being managed, who it's being managed by. Um, a, a lot of takes that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. And I think you know what those takes may be at this point, because we've talked about it multiple times on the show, but uh, just an unfortunate way for him to go out. If this is uh, his last couple of weeks as a major league manager, um, I think as guardians fans, we can definitely thank him no matter how it may end. Uh, thank him for his 11 years of service and, um, to this point, only one losing season. We'll see how this turns out. Definitely could be two. But to this point, only one losing season uh, during his, his Cleveland career and making the postseason multiple times. Um, definitely the most fun and the most success as a team and the most fun as a fan that I think anyone could have since uh, the 90s, which for me, I don't remember much. I was born in 94. Um, so those, those 90 teams, uh, definitely hold a special place in people's hearts, uh, as Cleveland fans. And for me, that's kind of what I experienced, um, since 2013 and just that 15, 16, 17 run, um, of Indians teams at the time, uh, was definitely special. You came into the season knowing that you would at least compete for the division, um, winning a hundred games a couple times, uh, winning the division. In fact, the Indians have the most um, division championships since the realignment uh, a couple of decades ago. So I guess that's a little bit of trivia for you. Um, also a little bit of trivia too: the fact that Cleveland won the season series against Minnesota seven to six. So I guess that's your consolation prize for being beat up and potentially missing the postseason, but to not send uh, Tito to the playoffs and what could and probably at this point be his last season at the helm um, is definitely disappointing. Uh, wish it could have gone better, but you know what? I'm, I'm happy for him. Happy that he can go out on his, his, his own way uh, on his own terms, especially with his health. I think that's kind of been my kind of been, it has been the most, uh, the main thing with him the past couple of years. Um, just those random days where he, maybe he misses a game, he's in the hospital um, and you really worry for him because he's, he's getting up there in age. He's almost 70. Um, and just the fact that what he's been going through uh, is nothing to be taken lightly. And so um, definitely can appreciate everything that he's done for Cleveland. Um, it's kind of full circle. Uh, his father played in Cleveland as a player. Um, he himself was in the front office uh, about 20 years ago before he uh, joined the Red Sox organization and eventually won two World Series, of course. Um, so it kind of came full circle. So happy that he was able to come back to Cleveland, give us this run of success that we haven't seen in a couple of decades, nearly 30 years, and um, just put more memories in our heads as as Guardians fans, Indians fans before that. Um, definitely special. But uh, as we sit here today, he's only 59 wins away from 2000. So, I mean, me selfishly, 
I kind of hope he comes back next year just because he's that close. Um, obviously, his health is number one priority, nothing to be taken lightly, as I said. Um, so if he doesn't come back, like I said, uh, uh, super thankful for what he's done for the team. Um, but that 2000 win mark, I mean, that's that's definitely special. Not many people get there. He's only he would only be the 13th manager in be history to do so. Um, and he'd only be one of two managers to not have a tie uh, during that list as well. So right now he's the third third winningest active manager behind Bruce and Dusty Baker. Uh, two future Hall of Famers, of course. Francona is definitely going to be a future Hall of Famer as well. He doesn't have to worry about that. But uh, to be so close to 2000, like I said, me selfishly, I would I would love to see him come back and get that 60. Um, at one point, him being the winningest manager in Guardians history was in question because of the extended absence that he took. Um, I believe it was last year. And DeMarlo Hale was the acting or interim manager. And um, of course, if he didn't come back, then all the wins that we got under DeMarlo Hale would have gone to him. Luckily, he was able to come back and all those wins will be credited to uh, Francona. And he became all-time winningest manager in Cleveland history. Um, but I think as I look back at this time, 10, 10, 11 years ago, I think to be able to get someone like Francona was kind of an eye-opening thing. I definitely didn't expect to be able to land him. We're coming off the Manny Acta experience, which as someone who didn't have previous managerial experience, it's kind of what you get. I mean, the, the team wasn't that great to his defense, but you definitely had a couple stars and um, they didn't go anywhere. We, we saw Detroit and Chicago um, and Minnesota as well, uh, you know, take their turns of winning a division as the Indians lack behind. And to be able to make that turnaround and win 90 games and make the wild card in his first season, um, talking about a guy who took over at the helm in Boston and was the first manager, I believe, in their history to win the World Series in his first his first year. Um, and actually one of his replacements, John Farrell, who was a coach, uh, on his staff was the second. He took over in 2013, his first season, won the World Series. But to be able to get someone like Francona, the, the resume that he has, the experience that he has, the uh, cachet that he has, um, what was, uh, I think, a huge thing for Cleveland because, as we know, uh, Cleveland's not the biggest market, right? We're not the sexiest team, the sexiest city, whatever the case may be, not the most money for sure, as we've seen that. And for him to come from Boston winning two titles, uh, Philadelphia before that, even though he didn't win much, he only lasted four years, uh, to come to a, a city and a market like Cleveland, um, not only do I think it, it enabled him to last as long as he did, because he, he's lasted here longer than he did in Boston, which is a tough sports town, as we've seen. Um, very tough and got fired after a winning season. But to come to Cleveland and the rules kind of be a little bit less bright. Maybe our expectations aren't as high. Um, we certainly don't have the fanfare as, as Red Sox fans. And of course the Red Sox are the ones that actually beat our record uh, for 455 consecutive sellouts. The the Red Sox have long passed that record and, and, and extended it by several, several games. But to not have the fanfare and the, um, like I said, the experience and the tradition 
uh, on winning. Uh, we haven't won a championship since the 1940s. So maybe you kind of hope that he comes in. He, he has a redo of what he did in Boston as they hadn't won in 86 years. They won their first championship in 2004, followed it up again in 2007. And I think to get to the World Series in 2016 and not win it, um, as someone who is not yet 30 years old, I have to imagine how I feel about that loss being one way is how Indians fans in the late 90s feel about the 97 World Series. And even I look back at that and go, man, to be that close and losing a walk-off um, in game seven. But to get so close and, and, and not win and not come through um, definitely still hurts to this day. And as Mike Hargrove once famously put it, I'll tell you when I'm finally over it, because at that point, or at this point, I'm not. Um, but like I was saying, for him to to come here and do what he's done for the past decade plus, um, super thankful. Uh, wish it could have ended better. And for the first time in 11, 12 years, we'll be looking for a new manager. And um, I don't have any great names to name as a replacement. I'd love to hear your thoughts if you're listening to this who you think would be the best uh, best manager, best person to replace him um, as manager. And uh, I want to point out one tweet, though, by Nick Wilson, who uh, works for 92.3 here in Cleveland. Um, they went over uh, a Guardians managerial big board at who could replace Francona next season. And some interesting names, some that I agree with, some that I think would be actually a very good idea, and some that I mean, it's a list. It's not necessarily a recommendation to the front office at who to hire. Um, but on that list, of course, is uh, Sandy, our current first base coach, and Mike Sarbaugh, our current third base coach, who actually has experience as a manager in the minor leagues before he was brought up by Tito and became our third base coach uh, in 2013. So he actually has the experience and, and has success as a manager, albeit in the minors. But Again, coming off of Manny Actor, who had no experience as a manager, me personally, I would love to have someone who has experience, even if it's a couple of years, um, to be able to go into next season and know what it's like to lead a team, to handle players, to provide that balance from the front office uh, who, who may or may not see eye to eye with you, but as we've seen over the past 10 years that front office and, and and Francona have definitely been lock and step on most things. This this year has been kind of trying because it's been hinted at that maybe the front office wanted to play um, some players over other players, maybe even vice versa. Um, as we know, Tito loves his veterans and, and is, is very much a player's coach or a player's manager um, for better or worse, as we've seen. Um, but naming some of these guys on this list, uh, continuing uh, Jim Tomey, who uh, Nick pointed out that it, it's not always a good idea to bring back players that you love in a coaching aspect because it could stain the popularity that you have on them as a player. Now, Jim Tomey, one of the greatest all-time Indians uh, in team history, prob probably second behind Bob Feller. 
another great name, which isn't anything to be ashamed about. Um, but I definitely wouldn't agree with that. Uh, bringing in tell me being a manager and for as young as a team as we are and for it being his first managerial job. Yes, it's in Cleveland, but no, I think if uh, who knows, maybe he doesn't even want to be a manager. So, but again, I'm getting ahead of myself. This is just a list. And you know, like I said, it's not making suggestions, but I also have Carlos Beltran who very literal trivia at one point was hired to be the Mets manager. And we've seen how that turned out. He's also in the front office, um, multi-time all-star, 10-plus year veteran. We get it. Uh, Will Venable, former player, Rangers associate manager currently. Um, speaking of Rangers, Chris Woodward, former manager for the Rangers before they hired Bruce Bochy. I actually think that he would be a very good, I want to say very good manager, but I think it could be a good hire um, on the fact that he not only does he have experience, but this isn't, in my eyes, a team that is going to be a championship contender. And I want to spread, uh, express um, that it won't be a championship contender next year. Could be a division contender, as we've seen. We have a losing record right now. We're only six games back. So say what you want. It's not necessarily a tough division, as we've seen. Um, but it could work out. I don't know. Uh, Mike Schilt, former Cardinals manager. Joe Girardi, who is someone who that I would not agree, who I not I wouldn't want to bring on. Yes, he he won a World Series with the Yankees. Um, has several several years as manager. Something that I'm looking for personally. Um, but then I think back to last year and how after he was fired from the Phillies, how they just took off, and how Rob Thompson. Uh, rallied that team, gathered that team, they started winning, and of course they obviously made it to the World Series. Um, but I feel like that leaves a bad taste in the mouths of many who may have been Girardi fans, myself included. So I personally would not want him to be brought on to Cleveland. But it's not my call. Uh, continuing, we have Jace Tingler from uh, the managers, the managers, the Padres manager, excuse me, former Padres manager. Um, I thought he did a decent job before he got fired. Um, again, that, that's a team that is closer to winning a championship than we are right now. And at the time, they were looking for someone who could turn that corner, especially with the players that they brought on. And um, just didn't work out for him. He was the odd man out. As we've seen, when a team disappoints, it's usually the, the person at the helm that gets fired first, and he, he was the casualty of that. Um, and lastly on the list is John Farrell. Um, like I said earlier, Won a World Series with the Red Sox, uh, was on Tito's staff for multiple years, also formerly managed the Blue Jays as well. Um, that one is is interesting because, again, he has the experience, but I feel like um, maybe and maybe not we're looking for someone to be here for another 10 years plus. It's, you hope that whoever you hire will be here for the long haul because they – are successful at what they do. And I don't think that maybe John Farrell is the best person for that, especially at his age. Um, I think that would be more of a shorter term uh, hire at this point. Not really sure. That's just my opinion. Um, so we'll see what next year 
turns out to be. Uh, nobody really knows. We haven't had to do this in over 10 years. That's a long time. That's that's security. And, and uh, uh, you don't have to have that stress on your mind. Um, as a Cleveland fan, I mean, we've seen it multiple, multiple times. We've seen it in back-to-back years, consecutive years, where the Browns are hiring and firing coaches left and right and paying guys to not coach the team and consistently being um, in a coaching search and who's going to lead the team the following season. As we've seen, that hasn't turned out very well. Um, but right now, we have some luxury in not having to have a, a coach search with who we have now and hopefully – after this year and the expectations that they have, hopefully we'll be in that position next year. But this is a baseball show, so we'll get back to that. Um, I wanted to focus on Gabriel Arias, someone who, especially post-All-Star, has been one of the brighter spots um, on the team. Uh, we traded Matt Rosario to the Dodgers to open up that shortstop position because you wanted to see who you had um, on the roster that could potentially be the everyday starting shortstop for next season. Because we all knew that Rosario, for one reason or another, was probably going to leave. In his contract year, he isn't an old guy. He's only in his late 20s, right? Um, but his upside just wasn't what you hope and what you think that these other guys could be with Tyler Freeman and Brian Rocchio, as we've seen Jose Tana come up, uh, produce. Um, but right now, if you were to ask me, it's – it's Arias's job to lose. I think he's already locked up that position for next year. Expect him to be penciled in as your everyday shortstop for next season, as he's already been so far this year uh, post-trade. Um, but after the All-Star break, uh, he's slashing right now 250, 294, and 422 with five homers and 15 RBI. So not a 300 hitter, but I think you can take that and work with it. Um, and over the past two weeks, he's hitting 281 and slugging 474. So he's definitely coming into his own, um, getting more comfortable at the plate, which you can only achieve by playing more. And luckily that is happening. And hopefully uh, that will lead to him becoming more comfortable and more uh, aggressive and more productive at the plate as the season winds down and going into the spring, knowing that he has the um, – the safety net of being the everyday shortstop, at least at the beginning of the season. And from that point on, if he fails, it's on him, but at least you've given him the the leash and the opportunity to kind of prove himself above other guys that are not getting playing time. Rokio was sent back down. Um, Freeman still isn't playing that much and probably for a good reason. He doesn't seem to be um, as productive at the plate. And of course, Arias, seems to be not only the better defender, but has the higher upside um, at the plate. He definitely has the pop in his bat that you hope continues to develop, as we've seen, because he can hit it hard. He's right now is the team leader in average exit velocity at just under 91 miles per hour. Um, and you can take that with, with what you're seeing right now. So for, for me, I, I mean, I'm rooting for him. I'd, like I said, I already think he's locked up. That position going into next year, he's definitely going to finish this this season as a starting shortstop. And hopefully you found your shortstop of the future because it's such an important position. And especially if his bat develops, as we've seen this year, 
He's playing more in, in different positions, which I think only makes him more valuable if his back comes around, because who knows during somebody's off day, as we've seen with Jose Ramirez, if you want to keep his bat in the lineup, we'll put him at DH. So with Arias, you know, you could put him in right field. You could put him at third. You could put him at second. You could put him at first and kind of keep his bat in the lineup every day. If he's performing well and kind of be one of those anchors that you lean on to at hopefully next season, because this year's offense just, um, not good to say the least, the very least that hopefully an offense will turn around next year and help us compete. Um, but focusing on another young guy who has been sit back down is uh, Oscar Gonzalez. It's been an up and down year for him. Um, a lot of expectation and upside coming into the season, as we've seen last year, especially his playoff heroics uh, a, a season ago. Um, but someone who just had turned or Turned it around and continues to struggle at the plate, chases a lot, uh, even though he does make a lot of contact, especially when he does chase. He just hasn't shown the maturity at the plate to lay off on those pitches. He doesn't often put together very good at-bats, often looks very silly because he chases a lot. Um, and since he got called up on July 27th from Columbus after several several weeks and months down there, um, he's only hitting 232 uh, and only has seven extra base hits between his call up July 27th and when he got sent back down September 2nd. Uh, he's only hitting 232. He's only slugging 337. His OPS plus is 62. So not very good at all. Um, someone who you had hoped would kind of lock up that outfield spot in right field. And so far he hasn't. And to this day, it's just been a revolving door. Um, not long ago, the, the Guardians placed two waiver claims on two outfielders that we've seen play that position. And, and lately, with Josh Naylor's injury, we've seen Cole Calhoun play a lot more first base. But that's OK, because he's, his bat has been hot and uh, been one of the upsides post All-Star break. But um, Oscar Gonzalez, uh, I wonder if he's seen his last uh, at bat in the majors with Cleveland. I don't know. That may seem far-fetched they may seem out there they may seem like a hot take um i don't know but all year before he got sent down uh even after he got sent or yeah after he got sent down and brought back up to try to navigate his issues at the plate it just hasn't turned around um and while he's been better post call up than what he was uh previously before because he was hitting under 200 he just hadn't put it together yet and as we've seen he hadn't locked down that position, and if you don't lock down the position at that point, you're just a casualty because you have other players that can go and play that position that have higher upside or are producing more. As we've seen Loriano play there, we've seen Calhoun play there, uh, we've even seen Arias play there in right field, um, a lot less in the second half of the season, of course. But someone who, like I said, you had upside and is striking out 30% of his time at the plate, um, definitely not good. Before we move off of Oscar, I did want to point out really quickly that uh, over the past month, since August 8th, uh, Gabriel Arias is hitting um, 256, slugging 453. His bad is 346, so when he does put it in play, good things are happening. Uh, and his WRC plus is 102. Uh, so pretty average, but it's on the, the good side of average. He's hitting 2% better than your average major, major leaguer, um, which is only upside, right? Uh, so that's what you kind of hope. 
Um, but someone else who wanted to bring up uh, recent acquisition, uh, Kyle Manzardo, um, me personally, I wanted to bring him up because I would like to see him in what seems like a lost season. I wanted to see him in the Guardians uniform before the season ends just to see what he has. He's over his injury concerns. Um, there's also been rumors that there's also some mental issues that have been the cause of his lackluster play earlier in the season, which is certainly understandable. Um, we'll get too much into it. It's a, a family issue. Again, don't, don't really know if it's true, so I don't want to really speculate or put it out there. But with Columbus hitting 257, on base percentage 357, slugging 400, um, definitely an improvement almost uh, across the board. The only thing that is lower is a slugging percentage from uh, AAA Durham when he was in the, in the Rays organization was 442. Um, so that's really the only thing. But right now, uh, he seems to be hitting the ball hard, seems to be hitting the ball well, definitely hitting for a higher average than he was before the trade. Um, I want to see him up here, see what we have. Uh, we've been here all season, quote-unquote, let the kids play for – lack of a better term and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing um, definitely has been used ironically because of um, at, at sometimes how bad quote unquote the kids play, but it's something that I want to see. I don't want to wait till next year. I know he's probably going to be up here next year, um, but I want to see him now just to see what he can do against major league pitching. Um, not really sure if, if it'll help, who knows, but like I said, as we see against uh, with Bo Naylor last year, he came up late and, we had him just to get the experience of being in the major league clubhouse, major league uh, dugout, um, going through the process of being in the major leagues. And I think that has definitely helped his transition this year because we all knew who would be up this year. And finally the catcher's job was given to him and he's been playing close to every day. Um, probably not as much as, as some people would like, uh, given that he's not actually playing every day and you have backups that don't have the upside that he does. But I, I don't, I don't make the decisions. It's whatever. But bring him up. See what he can do. Uh, if he, I don't want to say fails, but if he doesn't do well, I think that that can only make him better going into the spring. Having that experience of being uh, at the plate against Major League Pitching, because as you know, there's no higher level than Major League Pitching. So if you're doing well in the minors, come up, see what he can do. Uh, I think everybody expects him to be here next year already anyway, as I've said. So bring him up, see what he can do, see what you have going into next year. Um, only thing is, what is it going to be at first base in DH? Because while Josh Naylor can play right field, I wouldn't feel comfortable with him out there given his injury. Um, I personally believe that he's still not 100 uh, percent healthy with that leg. As we've seen, he's had some days off earlier in the season. Um, me personally, I'm not a doctor, but it seems like sometimes he's limping, uh, playing every day. Um, even when he splits time at the time with Josh Bell at DH. Um, but that would be my only question mark for next year. Um, who's the everyday first baseman? Who's going to be your DH? And I think us, like most teams, don't want an everyday DH post Brian Mill Reyes. Uh, just because, as we've seen, you can put anybody there. Josh Naylor played DH 
when he first came back. Calhoun has a, a decent bat lately. Put him there if you don't want him in the field. Um, it's regularly used for Jose Ramirez when he wants a day off from the field. And even yesterday, Stephen Quell was DH. Um, so it's kind of a, a revolving door. Lately in baseball, you don't really have a full-time DH anymore. And you just kind of put guys there that whose bats you want to keep in the lineup um, just to give them a day off, off of their feet. Right. Don't worry about going to play the field. Just worry about hitting. Um, so that would be my only concern or not really concern, a question mark for next year. Um, who's going to be your first baseman? Who's going to be your DH? And that'll be a question that will be at the plate of whoever's manager next year um, to bring your full circle. Who knows? Who, who will that be? Um, so this offseason could definitely be an interesting one, um, considering the young guys that you have. Um, who you're going to bring in next year? Are you going to make some more free agent signings, some veterans? Um, if so, who are you going to target? As we've seen, the two big ones that we signed this year did not work out. Um, so much so that one of them hasn't played since he was DFA'd from Cleveland. Um, Mike Zanino hasn't been picked up that I know of by anybody. Um, but It'll be some question marks and it'll be a concern for everybody going into the offseason. Some something that to keep your eyes on going into the spring. Um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a transition. It's gonna be weird. I haven't had to do this in many, many years. Um, one thing I do want to touch on really quickly before we get out of here is that Bieber and McKenzie will be facing live batters for the first time in months, really. Um, so that's something to look forward to as well. Um Keep your eyes on news for that. Uh, won't be a strenuous workout or appearance. They just want to get some work in. Hopefully they can come back in a couple of weeks, finish out the season healthy and strong and go into next year. Um, but that's really it. It's It's been an up and down season, definitely a disappointing one. Um, one that you don't really want to hang your hat on as a fan because of the expectation that we had coming into the season. Uh, because it, it seems like it's going to turn out to be Tito's last season as manager. Um, a very successful run, in my opinion, the most successful since the 90s. Um, but yeah, that that's it, it's going to be tough to uh, finish out the season and see what's going to happen for next season and the offseason. It's going to be, I think it'll be a lot of question marks and, and some some something to look forward to and also something to kind of be excited about as well. I think the young guys that are on the team and coming up will be uh, exciting to watch and, and, and root for in the next coming years. And we just have to wait to see, but uh, on that note, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Uh, it's just been me today, as you've seen. So we'll see if we get somebody next week. Um, There's supposed to be a short recording and it, it lasted 40 something minutes, but that's okay. Uh, but thank you for tuning in. This has been another episode of Believe in Guardians. I am your host, as always, Amari McPherson, and we'll catch you next week. Peace out.